pray with me, please. Father in heaven, we sing these from the depths of our soul. You are so worthy of our praise. And tonight in this lesson of Daniel chapter 7, a lesson that for me personally I kind of dreaded, and yet it's probably one of the best ever. And so, Lord, tonight I know it's because you're trying to teach us that no matter what happens, whether we have it straight or, we'd, or we're interpreted it wrong or right or whatever, our eyes are to be fixed on you. You are the one we watch. You are the one we listen to. You are the one that we fix our eyes on, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And so we just come to you with all of our love and all of our adoration. You deserve every bit. And so, Lord, may we learn a very valuable lesson tonight. And so... May all of us just really desire to want to hear the truth like Daniel did. We don't want to run from it. We don't want to stick our head in the sand. We want to know the truth. And so we are ready. We know that, that your word is the truth. And now we have to choose whether we're going to listen to it or not. And Lord, it will be a night that we will never forget if we really allow your spirit to do his work in us. So we commit this night, and Lord, for many needs in every one of these households tonight, you know, you know exactly what we're going through, and you know exactly how to give us strength in our weakness. Lord, be very near to us tonight. May we, may we sense your presence, not only with us, because you are here and we welcome you here, but, Lord, may we see you on your throne tonight. May we take such comfort and security in the fact that you are on the throne. And may we visualize this lesson tonight. It is such one that we can use our brains and our imaginations. And, Father, we don't want to miss anything. And, Lord, again, we know that you are ready to use this lesson in so many ways. Maybe in ways we never expected tonight. But I love your surprises. I love what you do. Sometimes we come in here thinking we know one thing, and then you've got to show us how we need to be corrected or challenged or convicted. Lord, and, yeah, and then you show us always how much you love us. So we're ready. We're ready for a great night. And we pray this all in our Savior's name. Amen. All right. Let's see your Bibles. This is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it is all that I need. Daniel chapter 7 tonight. Um, I hope that you didn't think when you were doing this lesson. I hope you didn't think, well, I can't wait till Tuesday because then all of my questions will be answered, and Linnell will explain everything perfectly. <clears throat> oh, I wish I could say that I was going to do that. But, you know, um, not only do I not understand at all, um, we're not supposed to. We are really not supposed to. And, and I think of how much time is wasted when we concentrate on things that we don't have the answers for. And I'm going to read a verse to you just to prove, back in Deuteronomy, chapter 29, 29. So it'll be an easy one for you to remember that Moses, Moses wrote this. The Lord gave this to Moses because, see, human beings always want the answer. They, they want to know, they want every question answered. And usually we want it answered our own way. But sometimes the Lord, to teach us, and to know that we, we can't possibly understand it all, it's like, well, listen to the Lord in, in these words. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our children, that we may follow all the words of his word. So right there in Deuteronomy 29, 29, we are reminded that the Lord does have secrets. And so to say that 
you know, we need to know everything. No, get over it, you know, because I, I want to make sure that we would, that tonight we mainly, we mainly talk about the things that we know for sure. Because this is exactly what God wanted Daniel to know, which in turn he wants us to know. Now, did you also, when you started with the first verse, um, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, did you think, what? A couple chapters ago, he was slain, he was killed. So obviously, you know, you could see that chapter 7 and 8, they're not in chronological order. So whoever put the Bible together, did they make a mistake? No, no, no. Every word is true. Um, there is a reason why it is not in chronological order, because it's the order we need it in. Do you know that chapter 7, we would not have been ready if it was put in the order. It's supposed to be between chapters 4 and 5, if you want chronological. But we wouldn't have been ready for it yet. See, I am such a firm believer that God's word, even because the whole Bible is not in chronological order, but it's in the proper, it's in the right order. And this is just an example because um, I love verse by verse study too, because to be able to go into chapter seven, we needed one, two, three, four, five, and six. You know, we, we needed to hear right at the beginning that the whole premise of Daniel is to know that God is sovereign. He's the sovereign Lord. And you know what Lord means? That means he's in all, he's over all, and through it all. We need to remind ourselves that in the world state, that we have a God that sits on the throne, is in total control of it all. He's sovereign. He's got a plan. He knows exactly what he's doing according to his perfect timetable. We needed to understand the difference between pride and humility. What prideful people look like. And when they're so filled with pride, they don't even see their own sin. A prideful person, all their consumed is, is themselves and they don't realize that everything that they've been given is from God. So they look in the mirror and think, wow, how great am I? When the whole time the Lord gave them every gift, every ability, every talent, every piece of power. And we saw that in with Nebuchadnezzar, we saw that, you know, pride just reigned. And so what does God do to someone who is so filled with pride? What did we say a few weeks ago? We've been saying it ever since. If you do not humble yourselves before the Lord, if you don't take that most humbling walk to the cross, knowing that you yourself are in so need of a Savior and you can't make it without him, we've all got to, we've all got to be humbled. And the Lord will do whatever it takes. And some nuts are harder to crack. And so when you look at Nebuchadnezzar, my word, I mean, it, it took seven years. It took claws. It took feathers. I mean, it, it took a big attention getter. And it still took a long, long time. But then was, wasn't that just the greatest words when he looked to the heavens? He looked, and in this lesson today, too, that's the key. When you're willing to look and to watch. So we see um, Nebuchadnezzar's choice. We see God's grace. He gave Nebuchadnezzar another chance. Because, you know, it was so obvious that, you know, when he was given that first vision, all he saw was that image and this, the head of gold. And Daniel said, that's you. That's all he saw. And it just puffed him up and he didn't hear the rest of it. And so then you've got the, the furnace because, oh, seven times bigger because they wouldn't bow down to him. Oh, pride. It's just pathetic. 
And the Lord will do what he has to do. We had to learn that. We had to learn about pride and humility. We had to learn what made Daniel who he was. Remember last week when we said dare to be a Daniel, dare to stand alone, dare to have a purpose firm, dare to make it known. I mean, here is a young kid put into exile. He didn't have any formal education. He didn't have any seminary. And yet he had his parents teaching and he decided to claim it for his. And he grew and matured. He prayed three times a day. He made sure he was connected to God Almighty. And what a difference that made in his life. If he walked in the door right now, he'd be the first to say, oh, please do not put me on a pedestal. Do not think I am Superman. I could never do that. But I believe in a God who gives us what we need at the time. And he gave me those interpretations. You know, and then, and then you see the contrast of Belshazzar. We see we needed to be reminded God is not complicated. There's only two choices. You either accept him or you reject him. And we see what it took for Nebuchadnezzar, but then we see Belshazzar, and we see a heart that is hard, that was not willing to be softened. He said no. Even when Daniel said, you know, you know the story. And yet how relevant that is to today can't understand why people wouldn't want a tight, close relationship with the one and only God who can do amazing things through us. So we had to learn that. We had, you know, we had to be reminded that we need our feet firmly planted in the gospel. We need a firm foundation. We need to know who our cornerstone is. See, and then, and last week when we watched Daniel, we, we watched him pray and look toward Jerusalem and remember his home and know and remember God's promises, how much, he, how much God loved him. I think sometimes when, because Daniel had just heard, remember? He had just heard about this decree and the punishment. And he just, instead of going into a panic, you know what he did? He kept doing what he always did. See, what a lesson for us. We don't just fall on our knees when, when you know, in panic and saying, oh, Lord, I need your help. No, he was conditioned you know, we had to learn that, that God is warning us. The Old Testament all is shifting us to Jesus, but we are seeing the premise, and that is that with God, you obey him, there are blessings, and there's this, this whole new life in Christ. And that when we, when we take on his wisdom, his heavenly wisdom, we can then watch our life take on a whole new kind of demeanor and, and purpose. Oh, we had to learn what a wise person really is. You know, I think we all want to be classified a wise person, a spiritually wise person. Remember when Daniel went into prayer after the Lord gave him the interpretation, how, how he went into praise prayer. I call it praise prayer. And he said, you give wisdom to the wise. A wise person is one, is one that knows he's not. He's not some smart aleck. He doesn't have all the answers. A wise person is one he knows he's not. So he goes to the all-wise. And God will give wisdom to those who come to him and seek. It just makes such perfect sense. So we needed all these chapters to understand what God is up to. 
and that he's warning us. He's getting us prepared. In fact, let me just tell you right now that Peter and Paul both talk about um, these days that we're going to be talking about tonight. And what they say to do is we are to be alert. We are to be clear-minded. We are to be ready and watching and sober. That's what it says. We have to be, be warned. We've, then it won't throw us off. I mean, all of us knows that we're edging into a time that none of us have ever experienced before. So are we, are we getting ready now like Daniel? Are we getting ourselves prepared and strong so when things start even getting worse, we are not running in fear and in panic? So I truly believe that we are in chapter 11 tonight on purpose after we've had six weeks already of Daniel. So Daniel had a dream, and and visions passed through his mind, and he was lying on his bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. He wrote it down. Now, first, because last week we talked about his age, and from the timetable of when he went into the den of lions, he could have been close to 80 years old. So I'm thinking, well, that's why he wrote it down. Because he's so, I mean, let's face it, if I want to remember anything, I have to write it down now. But then I thought, no, 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 it's between chapters 4 and 5. He is not that old. There's another reason why he wrote it down. It's nighttime. I mean, it's, it's very unusual. I know, I know for me, when I can't sleep at night and I'm going over the lesson, or when I used to, um, you know, think about concerts and that, and I always kept a piece of paper and pencil by my bed because sometimes the greatest revelations would come during the night. I'd get the greatest idea, but I think I better write it down because I'm not going to believe it when I get up in the morning or I'm going to discover what happened in the night. And I think that's similar here. I think Daniel, because it was so unusual, he didn't want to miss a detail. He thought, I'm going to write it down so in the morning when I get up, I can reread this. It's proof that I had these visions from the Lord. Daniel said, in my vision at night, I looked. Now, I underlined in pink so that when I turn, and I'm going to be turning to Daniel 7 many times. And I want to be able to see the key. The key to this chapter is when Daniel says, I looked. I looked. I kept watching. He chose to look. And that is something to remember. Do we desire to want to know the truth? Because as we get into this vision more and more, you would think that there would have been a little bit of a temptation for Daniel to say, I think I want to wake myself up because I have had enough of this. But no, he wanted to know the truth. I want to hear it all. I want to be ready and prepared for it. So he looked. I looked. He didn't shut his eyes. He didn't plug his ears. He wanted to know the truth. Good lesson there. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. What a visual, huh? I mean, probably a few minutes before, that great sea is calm and, and tranquil and peaceful. And all of a sudden, these four winds come and just churn up the waters. I'm telling you, it doesn't take much to realize that it's now chaos. It's chaos. So that's why this is so relevant because... We're living in chaos. So now, all right, in the middle of this chaos, four great beasts, each different from the others, came out of the sea. Now, you're going to notice that there's such a parallel with chapter 7 to chapter 2. 
And we know that when Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar about the image, he broke it down into four kingdoms. And we saw then, it was just kind of like a, um, a start so that we could understand tonight. But this time, I want you to see something. Daniel, Daniel has a visual. He is in this vision. He is seeing these beasts on earth. He's got an earth vision right now. He's looking at the world. He's looking at the, at the, he's looking at the earth right now. And he, instead of calling it statue, he calls these beasts. Now, why? Why would he call this vision? Why would he call these four beasts? I looked up beasts. And obviously, you know, you think of a monster and all that kind of thing. But a beast is one who's just glutton all about himself. And that truly made sense. So when Daniel called them beasts, they were just, they were kingdoms, they were kingdom leaders that were just glutton for themselves. They ruled the world, and they took all the credit for themselves. He said the first one, the first beast was like a lion, and it had the wings of an eagle, I watched. I watched until its wings were torn off and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a man and the heart of a man was given to him. So we know from chapter 2 that the first beast is the kingdom of Babylon, the first world ruler. This is Nebuchadnezzar. But we also can see in the description that this lion, because Babylon was majestic, it, it really stood there. And a, a lion is the right description, you know, king of the jungle, you know. The lion definitely represented Babylon well. But then look, look what happened. The lion, it had wings, it had the wings of an eagle. And as Daniel watched, he watched these wings get tore off. Oh, all of a sudden, he just isn't quite the same. All of a sudden, he can't quite do what he used to do. I'd say Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon, got humbled. And there before me was a second beast. Because we know that when Babylon went under... From the statue, from the, from the image, we know that the next empire in line was Medo-Persia. And then that's why there before me, after the lion, the second beast came, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. Quite descriptive, isn't it? This bear was raised up and it had three ribs in its mouth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. You know, the bear wasn't quite as majestic as the lion, but it had other characteristics. This fit Medo-Persia very well. Even though it wasn't quite as majestic, a bear is, is, might be slower than a lion, but it's strong. And actually, it loves, it loves to conquer. It loved military conquests. And so it, to say that the bear had three ribs hanging, hanging from his mouth, it was like praying around saying, look at what we just did. So it did. It had, a, it had a ferocious appetite for conquering. And then we know that after that in my vision at night, I looked. So he's, he keeps looking. He keeps saying, all right, keep bringing it on. I want to know the truth. I don't want to stick my head in the sand. I want to be able to know this. And there before me was a fourth beast. 
terrifying, frightening, very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot. Oh, I skipped one. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I bet you're thinking, no, no, we've got a beast number three here. I am so sorry. Okay, verse 6. After I looked, there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leper. And on its back, it had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. We know that the very next empire after Medo-Persia was the Greek empire. And now we get into Alexander the Great. Now, a leopard. If you know anything about a leopard, a leopard was quick. It, was, it had sudden spurts. It was sneaky. And do you know that Alexander the Great conquered the world by the time he was 28? And then he died. And then his, his kingdom was divided into four parts. So that too makes sense. On his back, it had four wings like those of a bird. His be this beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. So the leper is the Greek empire, and it was Alexander the Great. But then the fourth beast. And this one was very terrifying. And it had large iron teeth that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. Merciless, absolutely merciless. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. Now, there's many ties to Daniel 7 in, into the Revelation. And horns, you know, when you, when you think about these horns, it represents power. And so the Roman Empire had great power. And it rep it's represented by, it had ten horns. Another, while I was thinking about those horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among the ten. Now, before you think, oh, how cute. How cute. That little horn. Oh, how sweet is that? I mean, you know, when you think a little one, you just automatically think. And let me tell you, that is so opposite of what we should be thinking right now. Even though it's described as a little horn, believe me, this horn means business. In fact, it came out among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. I mean, this little stinker came up there, and before you know it, it has absolutely taken three powers right out. Just like that. The horn had eyes, like a man, and a mouth that spoke boastfully. Oh, big shot. Oh, it loved the power. Now, those are four beasts that came out of this chaos. And it is, I mean, it's, it's kind of gruesome when you think about it. And just when we're starting to think, oh, I don't know if I like this chapter or not, Maybe I'll just move on. Maybe I'll just skip it. All of a sudden, now watch, Daniel. As I looked, now his eyes are shifted upward. Now what he's seeing is heaven and what's in heaven. See, there's a reason why we sing the songs we sing tonight. There's a reason that, as you see in this chapter, you're going to see what God does for his children. We have to be ready. We have to not stick our head in the sand. We've got to know the reality. We've got to be ready so we're not, we're not you, know, you know, with surprises. We're kind of, um, you know, thrown off. No, he wants us firm-footed, steadfast in that cornerstone. And so what does he do? He moves our eyes to heaven. And look what Daniel said. There in heaven, thrones were set in place. 
and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. Now, when you talk about the throne of God, you know, I have to say, there are times when the Father, God the Father, sits on the throne, and then there are times when we read in the Revelation that Jesus is sitting on the throne. But they're both equal Godhead, so it really doesn't matter. But in this chapter, the Ancient of Days is God the Father because of what we're going to read later. So we've got the Ancient of Days, who Daniel describes, all white. This, this Ancient of Days is so wise and will always have the answer. And that's what Daniel sees. So he's seeing this, this confident Ancient of Days sitting on the throne that's just waiting for questions that he will have the answers for. Its throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Now try to picture that. I mean, we, we see the throne, we see the Ancient of Days, his white hair, his, his white robes. And, but then all of a sudden, you see his throne was flaming with fire. And its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. So there's fire. Now, I, could, I took it so many different ways. What does this fire at the throne mean? Now, when, when you see a fire, and let's say it's an out-of-control fire, when even firefighters have to just step back and just let it burn. The power, the force of a fire. So I saw the power. I, I did. I, I saw this as that throne was powerful. But then I thought, too, what does, what does fire do to gold, to silver? What does, what does it do? It refines. It purifies so that's the second thing that we can know is happening here. This fire represents power. It represents purifying. But then the third thing I couldn't help but see was, was its judgment. I mean, all of a sudden I'm thinking, this is a God you don't want to mess with. So power, purifying, holiness, and then judgment. Now remember, in the Old Testament, we have watched God judge immediately. That's why the Old Testament seems to be so brutal. But please don't excuse us living in the age of grace that we think we're, we're slipping something by or that we're getting away with something because we don't see judgment right now. Because there is going to be a judgment I think this is another thing that God is really showing us in this book of Daniel. We kind of know it. We study about it here and there. But it is so obvious in this book. There will be a judgment. And when he talks about the court, the court was seated. I mean, I mean, look, after the river of fire flowing, coming out from before him, thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. Can you imagine that praise? Can you imagine seeing the sight of 10,000 upon 10,000? That's in Revelation 2. Can you imagine the, the sound, the praise that's going on? given glory to the ancient of days on the throne. And then it says the court was seated. And I'll go back. I'll go back now to what I was saying about don't ever think that there's not going to be a court because there's going to be a court. And we know from the New Testament, Jesus called himself the judge. 
And he has the rightful place to be the judge because he's the one that offered us the salvation that none of us deserved. And so every sin will be dealt with in one of two ways. Sin will be dealt with at the cross. And I know I bring this up every week. But you talk about that humble walk to the cross. Do you know what that did for you? That when you enter that court, and you will, and I will, and we will stand and look at that judge, and he will look at you and I because we were willing to take that humble walk. Not guilty. Not guilty. You and I, our sins have been bought and paid for, and we're innocent of them because he paid the price. Our sins are all under the blood, past, present, and future. So you say, well, then if my future sins are all under the blood, well, have at it. That's the most idiotic reasoning that I've ever heard. Because if you are truly grateful for the sacrifice he had to make so that you could be innocent, and you know full well that your disobedience, your sin, is hurting your Savior, your Redeemer of your soul. I mean, we should be seeing that every day as we grow in him that we want to sin less. It hurts us more because we know it's hurting him. So that's just ridiculous thinking. We should be dancing in the streets because our sins have been bought and paid for, past, present, and future. And we will stand in the court and we will hear him say, not guilty. Our sins were dealt with at the cross. The second, the second way sin will be dealt with, and this isn't going to be as fun. It's not going to be as... Because I think when we hear not guilty, I think it's, I can't even put that in words. But all of a sudden, we're probably going to see it, that there'll be people standing before him as judge. And he will say things like, I never knew you. I never knew you. And that judge will say guilty. And the punishment is hell. I mean, these are the truths of God's word. I don't think it's an interpretation problem. I think it's very understandable. There's going to be a court. And when the court is seated, the books were opened. The books were opened. What are, we, what are we talking about here? What books are we talking about? And again in Revelation, it's so clear. It's the book of life. Do you, do you remember, maybe the, this is old school, but do you remember that old hymn that said, Is my name written there on the page wide and fair in the book of thy kingdom? Yes, my name's written there. I love the way that old hymn writer started with a question. So it made us think, let's see, is my name in the book? Have I humbled myself before the cross of Christ? Seen myself as a lost sinner? Have I? Because that's what constitutes my name in the book. And then when you know without a doubt, you answer, yes, my name's written there. Yes, my name's written there. Now, right about now, I just want you to know that, you know, there's different ways, different denominations look at Daniel 7. And so I am just going to throw this out to you because it was very interesting to me. John Kelvin, John Kelvin, you know, I found that a lot of times growing up, I just believed because that's what the church told me to believe. And that's what I love about this particular study is because we don't ever talk about 
church denomination, we all come ready the same way with the same Holy Spirit to open up our eyes. But it is interesting to me that John Calvin, oh, he, don't get me wrong, he was, he was right on him when it comes to sinners and grace and the cross and salvation. Of course he was. But when it comes to Daniel 7, he thought or he truly believes that it is a time, the time of Caesar Augustus. And that, that the book of life is the gospel. And that that little horn is Caesar. And this is when the gospel went to the world. So, and I can see many of those ideas. I really can. And so, if you've been raised Calvinistic, you know, and I hope that you do not want to leave right now because you think, okay, that's what I believe, and you don't maybe hear the rest of it. Because I think it's very important that we just open ourselves up and our minds and our hearts and just let the Holy Spirit maybe take us a little further in this. So please know I am not trying to discredit John Calvin here, but that was his way of taking Daniel 7. Now in verse 11, Daniel continues to watch. He continues to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. Oh man, 11 and 12. Oh my goodness. Look at this. Look at this boastful horn, this little rascal of a horn that for a second you thought, oh, how cute. Look at this. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. See now, did you notice how after, after Daniel, his eyes now went back to earth. His eyes went back to earth, but really look at 11 and 12. Keep reminding us that any kingdom of this earth, any leader of this earth, no matter how powerful they are, they're not going to last. So I, I think as Daniel's eyes went back to the earth, then in 11 and 12, he had to be reminded that, yes, there's going to be some uprising. And there's going to be powerful leaders. And especially one here. But keep your eyes on the fact that there isn't one earthly kingdom or ruler that's going to last. And then look right back, look at verse 13. In my vision at night, I looked. Now he's back. Guess what? He's back looking up. He's back looking in heaven. There before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. Oh, that so reminds me of Revelation 5 when God the Father sat on the throne and there was no one around that could take the scroll from his hand, which the scroll was the deed to planet earth until Jesus stepped forward and grabbed that scroll because it's Jesus who's going to get it going to get rid of the old heaven and the old earth. He's going to start it. And so when you read chapter where chapter 7, verse 13, I truly see how this all connects. The Son of Man came out of the clouds. He approached the Ancient of Days. He was led into his presence. Look, he was given the authority, the glory, the sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. See, whenever it started getting a little nerve-wracking, a little scary, it's like God comes back in this chapter and says, get your eyes back where they need to be. As my children, remember 
I'm sovereign, and I've got you. And as long as, I want you to remember that as long as you live, keep in mind that even though something might happen to the shell of this body, there is no one or no ruler that can snatch you from my hand. Look at the last part of 14. His dominion, his kingdom is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So in 14 verses, look, we see the vision took Daniel first to earth, then to heaven, then back to earth, and then back to heaven. And I think that's exactly what we're supposed to learn here. Is that, yes, we've got to be told the truth. We've got to be told that persecution could be right around the corner. But like Daniel, we're, all, we're, we're heeding the words. We're getting ourselves prepared. Because remember, Daniel didn't just start praying three times a day when he heard the verdict. When he heard the decree and the punishment. No, Daniel just kept doing what he always did. Remember, he always prayed. He was grounded. And that's what we're doing in Bible study now. We're getting ourselves grounded. And we're keep looking because we're not going to stick our head in the sand. We're not going to plug our ears and close our eyes. We want to know the truth. We're going to keep looking. And watch how, how God just keeps, just at the right time, he shows himself to us. Keep looking at him. I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit. Oh, yeah, I'm sure he was. We should be too. Because as we see earthly kingdoms fall, it should trouble us that there are so many people that are not saved and there's so many people that are so ignorant of this because they don't want to know. And I'll tell you, they're going to go to hell. That's a little troubling. We should be troubled by this too. It should motivate us to say, hey, we got work to do. Because it, this is going to happen. This isn't fantasy. There is going to be a court. And if they don't do something about it, that's why Daniel 1 to 6, we had to see the actual demonstrations. This is how he operates. There's no question that these are his terms. So Daniel's troubled, and the visions that passed through his mind disturbed him. I hope so. I approached one of those standing there and asked him the truth, the true meaning of all this. You know, it doesn't say, does it? I approached one of those standing there and asked him the true meaning of it all. My first thought was, well, man, who do you pick? You've got tens, about ten thousands of angels. You know, who do I pick to go for advice? And then I thought, shame on me. Who's the only one that could give Daniel the, the interpretation? Who is the only one that can interpret this? Of course, Daniel went to the one and only. He went to the Son of Man. Or he went to the ancient days. I'll tell you, a wise person is one they know they're not, so they go to the one who is. He told me and gave me the interpretation of these things. Now, verse 17 and 18. This is the absolute summary of the second coming. If you just want in a nutshell about what's going to happen in the future, two verses. The four great beasts are four kingdoms that will rise from the earth. Now, when you were studying it, and this is what I think we're supposed to not waste time with, because wouldn't you just love to think, let's just talk about who these four kingdoms kingdoms are 
let's see, could it be Russia? Could it be China? Could it be North Korea? Could it be United States? Let's see. We don't know. So we're not going to waste time. But we do know that there are going to be four great beasts, four kingdoms that will rise from the earth. But look at verse 18. But. And verse 17. Yeah, this, that's not your pleasant verse. That's not, that's not the verse, but we've got to know it all. Look at verse 18, but the saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. And then Daniel says, did you hear me? Yes, forever and ever. See, when, I, when I'm saying, isn't this exciting? Isn't, I mean, yes, you, you hear the truth. Yes, it's unnerving a bit. But then he puts it right back to, look what you've got as my child. You're a part of this forever kingdom. You are mine. And there isn't any kingdom or earthly ruler that will be able to snatch you from me. Okay, maybe the exterior is going to go through a lot. I just pray that this study takes fear away from you and gets you excited. I know when we think we have so much stock in this exterior, and there's no one of us that want to hurt. We want to be comfortable, and we want to be happy, and we just, we just don't want hurt. And this sounds terrible. I know. But the best part is, because have you really seen a human body when the life is gone out of it? I mean, just that quick, all of a sudden, within a split second, life is gone. And it's just an unbelievable sight that you can tell immediately that they're no longer there. And James says, yes, this body, it's here today, it's gone tomorrow. And yet think of all the time and the effort and the emphasis we put on this earthly shell. But you know, the best part is the fact that as soon as the life leaves this shell, it goes directly into the arms of Jesus. All of this in chapter 7, it reminds us, get, get things back in perspective. It's not about here anymore, especially, and I say this all the time too, but I've got to keep hearing myself. Once you've been to the cross, once you've been saved, your life is not your own. It's not about you anymore. It's about him. And when it becomes all about us, that's when we run amok. And that's why we need to be reminded. So yes, he is telling us the truth. It's going to get rough. The exterior is going to be persecuted. Blessed are they who are persecuted for my sake. I'll tell you, it will be an honor. And the Lord will give us the strength and the courage because we have his very presence with us. Because we know. That's why that last question, the more sure you are about your future, the more it helps you with a chapter like this and with dealing with today. But the saints of the Most High will receive the saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. Then I wanted to know the true meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others and the most terrifying with its iron teeth and bronze claws. The beast that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. I also wanted to know about 
the ten horns on its head. And the other horn that came up before which three of them fell. The horn that looked more imposing than the others. And that had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I watched, this horn was raging war against the saints and defeating them. I wanted to skip that verse. And I know you did too. But dare to be a Daniel. Be, be dare to look and to know the truth. But look, verse 22. Look at verse 22. It's like the ancient of days. All of a sudden, he said, that's enough. That's it. Do you know that's what, what God's going to say? He knows at just the right time he is going to say that's enough until the ancient of days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the saints of the Most High. And the time came when they possessed the kingdom. That's our future. Do you know you can wake up tomorrow morning no matter what the condition of the world is in and no matter how much worse it gets, you know you win. You won. You've already won. Your, your future is already solid and cement. He gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. Remember, I, I dared say a couple weeks ago that I truly look at our world and it looks like um, that there's going to be one more shot at a one world kingdom. The fourth beast is his fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. They will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. And after them, another king will arise. Different from the earlier ones, he will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his saints and try to change the set times and the laws. The saints will be handed over to him for a time, times, and a half a time. I don't know if you're a, a believer of the tribulation and the great tribulation, that when you see time and times and a half a time, if you believe that that's three and a half years, the first half of the tribulation, that revelation is so clear to describe. When the seals, the seven seals are opened and the seven trumpets are opened. See, God's judgment is going to be a process. He could have done it just like that. But he is still now willing for people to perish. And he is still giving people a chance. But I'm telling you, it is not going to be pretty. But the last part, the great tribulation, is when the Antichrist thinks he is God. The first half, he's going to convince everybody in this world that he is the man of the hour and that he brings peace to this world. And everybody who is not grounded in God's word, if we haven't been taken up to glory, if you believe in that or if you don't, it's still, we've got to be grounded in God's word because he's going to be so convincing. And we know that in the latter part of the Great Tribulation, it's like he gets possessed with the devil himself and he erects a statue. Sound familiar? That he expects everyone to bow down. Look how Old Testament of Daniel and the New Testament of Revelation, just look how they mesh. You think God doesn't want us to know and to look and to watch and to be ready? And to know that this world is not it. That we are to be looking at our future. That the kingdom that we're a part of. That we will live with him forever and ever. Yes, forever and ever. I'm telling you, this is hallelujah stuff. This is what we are able to get up every morning knowing. Not hoping. No, knowing. We are realist. We understand that, that things 
because human nature is so evil and it's wicked and it's going to get worse and he's warning us. Okay, that's the truth. And yes, it is chilling. The saints will be handed over to him for time, times, and I have a time. But then look at verse 26. But the court will sit and his power will be taken away. His power. The one who thought he knew it all. Thought he was God. Thought that everyone had to bow to him. Just look, I told you. Any earthly kingdom, any earthly leader. I have to tell you something very interesting. I, I went and I didn't really know what constituted the Roman Empire. But it almost looks like the Roman Empire is going to be kind of raised back. So I thought, what countries, what countries are, you know, in the, you know, like, like the old Roman Empire, if it was today, what countries would belong to it? I was flabbergasted. And yes, it just all fits. If, if the Roman Empire and that territory raises up, do you know that there are 50, 50, 50 countries? I'm just going to read you some of them. And you think that this can't happen? Spain, Italy, France, England, Wales, Scotland, Germany, Greece, Bulgaria, Albania, Serbia, Serbia, Bosnia, Croatia, Switzerland, Netherlands, Belgium, Liechtenstein, Monaco, Cyprus, Turkey, Vatican City, Romania, Hungary, Syria, Russia, Cyprus, the Gaza Strip, Palestine, Israel, Iraq, Iran, Jordan, the Sudan, Africa, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, Yeah, and I'd say ten horns could come out of that with a sneaky little one maneuvering. We, we can't deny it. It says it right there. But the core will sit. And that big ruler will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be handed over to the saints, the people of the Most High, which is who, by the way? The saints and the Most High. I want to hear you tell me, who are the saints and the Most High? I hope you see me. I hope that you can put your name in there. I'll tell you, it's quite wonderful when you do. The sovereignty, power, greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be handed over to me. I'm going to be one of them. I'm one of the people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey him. This is the end of the matter. Because when that happens, Revelation 21 says, John said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth because the old order of things has been passed away. And behold, a new has come. So this is the end of the matter. We win. It will be worth it all. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts and my face turned pale. The reality of it, yes. Thanks, Daniel, for being human and showing us that this should be a troubling chapter. But now we know. We're ready. We're prepared. It, it will get unnerving sometime. But when you start to find your eyes are watching a little bit more to this one side or the other, and you start feeling that kind of scared feeling, remember Daniel 7, you look back up. But I kept the matter to myself. 
you know, you try sharing this. You try sharing this story with somebody who doesn't know or doesn't want to know. I mean, I think of how many people said to me, um, I don't think, I think I might skip a year because I, I don't want to go into those chapters. Oh, I like the, the lion's den and the furnace, but I, I don't want. There's so many that don't want to hear. But I think this week we really hear and watch Daniel say, bring it on. I want to know the truth. I want to be strong and courageous. I want everything that you've promised you would give me. Because my, my future is secure. And no matter what happens to this shell, we are going to reign with him forever and ever. Heavenly Father, thank you for this, this lesson. Again, just so understandable. And yes, yeah, there, there's things that, that, you know, we don't have all the answers for. We can't cross all the T's and dot all the I's because... But those are things you didn't want us to major on. You want us to major on our eyes fixed on you. That we are secure. Knowing that we are in your hands. Father, as we sing this last song, may we know that we can live every day, no matter what happens in the days to come. We can live with blessed assurance because Jesus belongs to us. But the key to that is perfect submission. We are willing to submit to your almightiness, to your sovereignty, that you are our Father, you are our God, and we belong to you because of the blood of your Son. I pray that everyone tonight can say, yes, my name is written in the book of life. And that when we think about sitting in that court and we look at Jesus, the judge, that we will see the love in his eyes as he looked at every one of us individually and says, not guilty. Father, we should be dancing in the streets. Father, we are ashamed when we think that we let our emotions get bigger than our faith. Because we do know the story. And yes, it is troubling, but we also know the outcome and we win. And for that, we thank you for your grace. Because it's so undeserved. But we can live this life knowing what's ahead. Because of our Lord Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.